Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody. It's Will Brinson, Pixies podcast host. Just FYI, we recorded the following podcast before Jalen Ramsey was traded. You're going to hear us talk about Marcus Peters being dealt uh, to the Ravens, from the Rams to the Ravens. And then we actually floated the possibility that the Rams could be doing that move in order to acquire Jalen Ramsey. Turns out we were correct, but we didn't delve into it because the trade didn't actually happen. Uh, if you want to hear the full analysis of the Jalen Ramsey trade, we did an emergency podcast. Myself, Ryan Wilson, and Sean Wagner-McGuff, it's in the feed. Go check it out. Thanks, as always, for listening. Let's get to Brady Quinn and Ryan Wilson. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, sometimes called the Brady Quinn. Don't do it. Don't do it, Will. I'm not going to do it. We're going to stop doing it. Brady wants Brady. He says he's humble Brady Quinn, wants uh, the attention taken off of him and put onto the, it's the Ryan Wilson football. Uh, um, <laughs> the Ryan Wilson football show. You know, uh, back when... um Ryan and I, uh, were first podcasting at AOL Sports, Brady. Uh, we did a, this is like 12 years ago. We, uh, Ryan created a intro music for it that was like house music, like, like a DJ. <laughs> and then like, but then it would like record scratch and then it would be like, and then had me yelling, it's a house cast. <laughs> wait, I can, wait, I can find real it. quick. You guys have known each other for that long? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've been I have no idea. This- Brady, yeah. you were still in college when Brinson and I knew each other. That's really? actually true. That's actually true. Can we go back through history lane? How do you guys meet? At work. Uh, just, yeah, AOL. Um, we're both from North Carolina, but I left North Carolina before I met Brinson. Uh, okay. as luck would have it. But yeah, t- 2007, we worked together at AOL. Then he left for CBS in 2010, I believe, Wilbur. And then 2011, I came over to CBS and we've been yeah. happily married ever since. You came over, yeah. the, I was to say, you came over the good guys. Yeah. There was one, there was one rocky, uh, rocky period of our, of our work marriage where Ryan was the editor, yeah. an editor at, uh, at AOL and, um. Oh wow. Like, I, I could, was, I could only imagine. Dealing, he was in charge of dealing with me on a regular basis. I know, know. I could, I could only imagine <laughs> Ryan having to deal with that. So yeah. yeah. God that's bless you, Ryan was, Wilson. God bless yeah. you. No, that's and that's right. before I was married and responsible and all that stuff. So I, I don't, I don't blame him one bit. Responsible? Uh, no, or responsible for other people. Oh, right. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, you know, when you're really single, you're, what are you, what were you doing when you were single, Brady? I'm sure you were, you know, sitting around I had your a house. dog, man. I had to go, I had to take care of my dog. It's like having a, a kid, sort of, close. I, I had a cat, whatever. Um, a cat? Well, you in Prisco? Cats. Jeez. The cat's a whole long story. I never volunteered to get the cat. It involved, I mean, we're not going to get into it. This, this is what people hate about oh. podcasts. There we go. By the way, we're, all, we're doing this on YouTube somehow. YouTube.com slash CBS Sports. You can go to the, uh, go to that page. Hit subscribe while you're there. You can also, uh, hit, hit the little video button and then you'll see a bunch of big green pick six logos uh, scattered throughout and you can watch these shows. We got a Thursday. Look at Ryan's got the t-shirt. Um, you got, uh, we got a Thursday or Friday picks podcast 
And then we have this show. Uh, we also have a YouTube exclusive that we do on Sunday night, which is uh, us looking ahead to the lines. Hope you took that uh, Bears Saints under. It's already dropped like two and a half points down to 38 and a half. Not going to be a, a real big shootout there. Um, we will get into that as well as some uh, a lot of football news. Reminder, download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you leave a five-star review with a question for Brady Quinn, I will make him answer it. Could be like, what's your favorite? What was your favorite moment at Notre Dame? What's your favorite moment in the pros? What's your social security number? Whatever it is, I'll make Brady yeah. answer it. Mm-hmm. I'm contractually but, obligated, so that, that is true. Yeah, Can and I look, ask Brady, now we have to wait till the end. Uh, no, we gotta wait till the end. Okay, that's, that's fine. also in the contract. And also, yeah. look, ask Brady weird questions. He likes answering weird questions. You do. <laughs> like if somebody was like, "What's your favorite restaurant in Fort Lauderdale?" You would probably go off on like a lengthy tangent about it. Yeah, Not I would now. say yeah. what what genre? I mean, what what cuisine are we talking about here? That's what I'm saying. We'll answer it at the end. Uh, maybe somebody can ask that or ask him what his favorite, ask him whose favorite person to work with is, Reggie Bush or, or Urban Meyer. We'll find out. Rams traded Marcus Peters on Tuesday. It was insane. Or Pete Briscoe. Urban Meyer or Pete Briscoe. Uh, Rams traded Marcus Peters to the Ravens. A surprising move, a surprising swap of a cornerback who is highly regarded for his ball skills and yet sometimes Brady, not great in coverage. Yeah, he's not great in coverage because they haven't played off the football. And if you go back to his days playing for Washington, one of the reasons that made him a coveted draft pick was they played more press, more press man-to-man at times, or some of that cover three match, which is essentially on the outside, man-to-man. So he's kind of getting back to those roots. I do think you'll see him fit better into Don Martindale's scheme in Baltimore than he was fitting Wade Phillips' scheme with the Los Angeles Rams. And in exchange, I think – this Rams defense gets a physical, athletic linebacker who can help them potentially stop the run, something that's plagued them a little bit um, early on this year. So this trade can really work out for both parties, and I think it comes at a point in time in the season two where both these teams can sure up some of the weaknesses right now that they're showing. So here, here's my concern, and I love the trade for the Ravens because they need help on the back end there. And uh, I think Marcus Peter, he actually rate, rates out pretty well for uh, Pro Football Focus, which is uh, an encouraging sign. We knew he was really good. But what are the Rams going to do with their secondary? I know Brinson has a theory. I'll let him tell in a second. But as it stands, they have four guys, Troy Hill, Nicole Roby Coleman, Darius Williams, and David Long Jr. David Long was their third-round pick out of Michigan this year. A tad undersized, his last two guys I mentioned, have not played one snap this year. So are you going to throw them out there? Are you just going to have two cornerbacks and pray that everything else work at, works out? Taylor Rapp has played a lot to safety. Their second-round pick, he's been okay, not great, but that's certainly understandable. So that's a huge question mark. And um, Brinson, do you have any idea – what the ulterior motive might be uh, for currently having no cornerbacks on the roster. Well, I mean, I saw it floated. I don't know. If the, I don't know if this is the case. I'm not suggesting they'll do it, but they could be. You know, they're they're gamblers. They might like to go after somebody like Jalen Ramsey. Maybe they try and trade for him from the Jaguars. I think the problem is you're three and three. You're in a really tough division. Um, it doesn't look like your offensive line is working. Of course, we'll get to. They they have a. a at least an attempt at a solution that we'll get to in just a second via another trade that, that went down, old trade and less need. Uh, maybe they go out and try to get Jalen Ramsey, but I, I think this is a, I love the move by the Ravens because you are, you are gambling that you can improve your secondary. You know, if you look at, if you look at the, you know, the DVOA numbers, the Ravens are, are one of the teams that is surprising in that they are 
heavy on offense or a top five offensive team and low end on defense. You know, they're, they're not a team we, we're used to seeing like that. Seattle's the same way. Jacksonville's the same way. Secretly better on offense than they are on defense, which is not what we're used to seeing from those squads. So I like the move by Baltimore. You're clearly in a division where uh, teams that were supposed to be good, the Steelers and the Browns are not as good. The Bengals are, are trash. And you got to gamble and go on on this year. When you got Lamar Jackson as a fringe top five or ten-ish MVP candidate. So I'm fine with it. Um, I would say that uh, it, it is worth looking at the over in this Rams-Falcons game. Because as Ryan points out, the Rams have no cornerbacks. The numbers up, uh, it opened at 52.5 or 53, is now up to 54. I think it will climb up to 56 by the time the, the game actually kicks off. The Falcons can't stop anybody. And the Rams don't really have a great running game, and they need to get a get-right game for Jared Goff. The Rams' team total is 28-and-a-half. Falcons is 25-and-a-half. I could easily see this game being played in the 60s. Right, Brady? Uh, yeah, potentially. Potentially. Look, I, I'm going to go back to the trade for a second because you talked about the lack of cornerback sure. depth on this roster. For starters, you know, Troy Hill played at spots actually decently well last year at times. And maybe, look, you put in Nikel Roby Coleman and maybe he can just go ahead and knock guys over all over the field and, and not get past interference calls. Who knows? It worked for them last year on the NFC, uh, NFC championship game. Uh, so maybe that's part of the strategy. Realistically though, it's this. More teams are playing nickel and they're playing a big nickel. So they're playing a form of nickel using three safeties. Um, as, as far as that extra defensive back as opposed to an extra cornerback. So I think you're seeing that more often than not with teams. Maybe that's part of what Wade Phillips and the LA Rams are thinking at this point, or maybe they try to go after someone like Jalen Ramsey. You know, who knows? Your guess is as good as mine, but I do think they have, they have some faith in some of the other cornerbacks that are there on the roster, uh, based on at least the previous seasons of playing. Uh, and then back to the Baltimore Ravens. When you look at the fact they get a, a guy who can, is a little bit better cover quarter than what they currently have on the roster right now or how they've been playing, uh, part of that to me has to do with this. Who are they biting for to win the division uh, with in the AFC North? It's the Cleveland Browns. What's their strength? Where are they the most talented? At the wide receiver spot. The Browns beat the Baltimore Ravens earlier this year. So I think if the Baltimore Ravens truly uh, are intending on beating uh, the Cleveland Browns, even as bad as the Browns have looked, I think they realize that they do need to shore up some of uh, their, their secondary issues and bringing in Marcus Peters accomplishes that. Uh, we mentioned the Browns. They are missing Baker Mayfield from, uh, practice with a hip injury. He was banged up last week. Not expected to practice. They're on their bye, so they got that going for him. Exciting news for them. They're at the Patriots, uh, next week coming out of the bye. So you get two weeks to prepare to have your butt kicked. Uh, they did actually trade a, uh, former second round pick, Austin Corbett, who there's a lot of, Corbett's an interesting guy because he was taken one pick ahead of Will Hernandez, who has looked very good for the Giants. Um, Corbett is the reason why they traded Kevin Zeitler to the Giants uh, because they had uh, they wanted to get Odell Beckham. They believed that they could use Corbett um, to plop in and he could be their guy at the guard position. And now he's traded early on in his career to the Rams. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a bad move for the Rams in the sense that they need offensive linemen. They're suffering a lot of injuries. They haven't been very good there. It's an upside move. But man, this is kind of a disastrous situation, Ryan, uh, for, for John Dorsey in terms of what was, uh, you know, otherwise a very good draft for him, but a big whiff. And this is sort of how we're in this spot with that offensive line not playing well. Yeah. No, it seems to be one thing after the next with the Browns. Um, Here's the thing. The offensive line, while spotty early on, hasn't been terrible uh, in terms of Baker Mayfield's inconsistencies. A, a lot of Baker – the thing about Baker coming in was his accuracy. He hasn't been quite as accurate this year, but he can also point to some of those interceptions. And by the way, he's leading the NFL in interceptions. Some of that has been with his receivers dropping passes or balls hitting him in the face and then going uh, 
un- unluckily falling into the hands of, of the other team. That said, he has to play better. And um, he's not been staying in the pocket, even when he has a clean pocket. And you can talk all you want about Corbett not working out. That offensive line has been duct taped together, and they have enough players where they should be winning football games. That game against Seattle was sort of rock bottom, typical Browns finding a way to lose the game. Mayfield was banged up in the middle of that game. He came back and played. Kudos for being tough. But he has to play better, and as you point out, Will, when they get off the break, they're going to play the Patriots, and I feel like this is going to get worse before it gets better. After that, they play your Denver Broncos, then maybe the Bills, I think, is who's after that. So that's something they got to figure out. It starts with Mayfield. We'll see if this week off helps them. Well, the good thing is, though, they they still have a fair amount of divisional games, and and Will alluded to the fact that the rest of the division kind of stinks outside of Baltimore, who they already beat. So uh, they're definitely not out of it. They do have, obviously, a tough test after the bye, but I think after that it actually – uh, lessens up in my mind as we take a oh, look yeah. at their schedule. Um, but, you know, look at Austin Corbett. You know, you talked about where he was drafted, Will. A lot of times we're seeing teams overdraft linemen. Why? Because it's hard to find good prospects, man. It's hard to find guys who you really feel like can transition from a college game who really they, they don't get much coaching, much time to work with their offensive line coaches because they're limited to, you know, being in pads at the NFL level. And so you don't get a ton of time to work with those guys to make them into NFL offensive linemen. So teams are more desperate to take them early in their drafts than they probably should be. I had a long conversation with John Schneider about that. And, and there was a series of years where they were, you know, selecting draft picks, sometimes even in the first round on the offensive line. And he admitted, he said, yeah, look, we're overdrafting these guys. They probably normally wouldn't go there 20 years ago, but it's because we just don't see as many guys who come out from the college level who are ready to put their hand in the dirt, drive block in the run game, or understand what we're asking them to do in some of the gap blocking schemes in the running tack, and then who are as technically sound as we'd like them to be in their pass protection. So um, this is common. It doesn't necessarily mean Corbett wouldn't be a good fit for the Rams. Their interior of their offensive line has been awful so far. So I think if they can get an upgrade there, if he can go in and at least help them out, it would probably do wonders for that rushing attack um, that's been inconsistent with the L.A. Rams and obviously for Jared Goff stepping up in the pocket. Brady, that's a I, that's a really interesting comment uh, about John Schneider because it makes me think about what exactly are the San Diego slash L.A. Chargers doing. Uh, we saw that offensive line absolutely get destroyed by the Steelers. And, look, the Steelers' defense is fine, but they shouldn't be doing that to Phillip Rivers, uh, who routinely owns them. Going back to it, so Phillip Rivers was drafted in 2004. In 2006, they used a, sixth round, uh, a second round pick on Marcus McNeil. He didn't work out. They used one first round pick since Phillip Rivers has been there on a D, an offensive lineman, DJ Fluker, who's currently with Seattle. Is there any explanation for what the Seahawks, uh, excuse me, the, the Chargers plan would be for not taking offensive linemen more often, especially when you're trying to protect Phillip Rivers? You know, it's funny, um, in that same conversation when I was with Seattle and then even afterwards when I got into broadcasting, I'd done a number of their games. You know, one of the things they, they, they didn't state this, but kind of alluded to that you want those offensive linemen to be kind of those blue collar guys, like those guys who've got a chip on their shoulder and something to prove. You know, J.R. Sweezy was probably the epitome of that. He was a guy who I'm sure Will knows very well, played at NC State, was a defensive lineman, transitioned over the offensive line because Tom Cable felt like he could, you know, make him into an NFL offensive lineman. But again, another guy who kind of had a chip on his shoulder, trying to prove himself, um, that was physical, that was a good enough athlete. And obviously it's worked out well. He's still playing the league right now. And so hey, I, I think you, yeah, I, I think I think you see a, a number of those scenarios because they they look for guys who they can either develop that have the athleticism to match the athleticism they're facing on the D line, you know, or uh, they they want those guys to be maybe you know with more of a chip on their shoulder. They feel like if you draft a first round guy, he better be a, a future Hall of Famer. He better be your left tackle like Joe Thomas for the entirety of his career. 
Uh, and I think it's getting harder and harder to be so sure about some of those guys, much like, you know, quarterbacks that you're coming in trying to evaluate too. Those are probably the toughest two positions to evaluate right now. So I think by and large for most teams, even though they overdraft these guys, there's still maybe some hesitance to draft them in the top 10 or in the first round because you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. By the way, speaking of Joe Thomas, if you ever want to have a good, uh, good old remnant, like walk down memory lane, Google, Google image, uh, Joe Thomas, Brady Quinn. Some good stuff out there. There he is. You're a weird guy. You're a weird <laughs> guy. We're trying to work on maybe, uh, you know, he's got that, that he's got a good podcast with, um, um Tomahawk, the Tomahawk, Tomahawk podcast. Yeah. He, he's been talking about we're trying to work together at some point. Hopefully we can reunite. Uh, maybe it will be a podcast based around us just being roomies because we used to room together, obviously, for the first couple years there in Cleveland. There's a good, good, like, there's a good picture of you guys on, like, Cleveland Magazine, like, just, you know, it's oh, arms yeah. crossed, blazers on. No, I was, I, I can't remember how I came across it. was like, you guys had an Indians game tossing out the first pitch or something like that. Anyway, uh, moving along. I don't, I don't know why I've seen this stuff. Don't ask me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Bears had a bad two days in terms of injuries. Monday, Kyle Long is placed on injured reserve. Tuesday, Akeem Hicks is placed on injured reserve. Don't want to uh, linger on it too long. I'll just point out that both those injuries are have massive impacts on on the respective sides of the line. Um, and I would be a little bit worried without Long, without Hicks, going up against a Saint t- Saints team. I think it's covered what seventeen or one, you know, one like you know fifteen fifteen to two in the last seventeen games uh, in October and covered repeatedly. As I mentioned, that that line that total has already dropped down uh to 38 and uh now it's down to 38 it dropped another half point since we started it's plummeting i think we will see a very low scoring game in chicago between those two teams elsewhere in the news michael bennett suspended one game for conduct detrimental to the team Brady Quinn, what do you have to do to get suspended one game by the Patriots? Uh, there's most likely a large verbal altercation that occurs in one of those meetings and potentially, um, maybe you have to bump the coach or it gets a little heated where there's, there's some shoving going on. Usually that's about the standard that it equates to. Uh, I, I recall during my time playing, um, we were in an offensive meeting and there was, uh, quite the, the yelling match between our offensive coordinator at the time and one of our wide receivers. And, uh, I'll never forget, you know, players having to break it up and the player being removed out in the hallway. And then our offensive coordinator at the time turning around and saying to the team, you know, man, we're like family here. And I don't know about you guys, but I fight with my family. He's like, cause we love each other. We care. He said, we got a lot of passion for what we do. He's like, that's the same thing here. You guys are like family. He's like, so, you know, don't be turned off by this. Don't think that this is, this is the worst thing in the world. He's like, cause we're like family. So, you know, th- there's going to be times where we're going to fight. We're going to be upset with each other and disagree. And, and he, so he tried to smooth it over. Although I don't necessarily know that we were ever the same after that point in time. You'll, you'll appreciate this being a family's fighting, Brady. Um, when, when my brother and I would get in arguments, my dad's solution was to tell us to leave the house, go fight in the yard. And when one of us came back, the fight was over. I was uh, on an, another team where there was a there was a squabble between a couple players, and they did just that. There was a lot of words that were had in the locker room, and uh, basically, but you know, shouting across at one another again, being held back. They decided to go find a, a, a safe spot away from everything and away from the facility and uh, have it out. And they returned, I want to say like an hour later, and uh, whatever happened, whatever occurred, whatever you know went on. 
they seem fine. They were at peace with, with whatever was said or whatever was done at that point in time. So, uh, to this day, I'm not really sure how that fight went, but, uh, I also recall one of those. Let's see. Uh, do you, do you remember the old, uh, Kobe Bryant, like the old, this, the, it was like the famous Twitter spat that happened involving like two people arguing over with, like whether Kobe Bryant was an all time Laker or not. And some guy was like, meet me in uh, Timacula or whatever that city is in California. And the guy drives to, drives there on Christmas day to like, and yeah, it, like takes Temecula. Picture. Yeah. Yeah. Temecula. Yeah. That's it. I can never pronounce that right. I don't know. It always cracks me up. They're from the south. Uh, I get it. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, by the way, here's been a statement uh, via Jordan Schultz of ESPN on Friday. I had a philosophical disagreement with my position coach. This led to my suspension. I apologize to my teammates for any distraction this may have caused. And yeah, yeah. I have a philosophical disagreement with my wife once a week, too, Michael. So good job by you, buddy. Uh, Darius Leonard. Mm, this is some scary stuff, man. Darius Leonard told uh, Jim Aiello of the Indianapolis Star that he basically had a headache for three weeks uh, because of a concussion that he was dealing with and was asking himself, will I ever be the same? Do I keep playing? You know, you have those thoughts in your head. I know you played through a concussion at one point in time, right? I mean, is it I, – I can't imagine that feeling where you're sort of alone and isolated and in that protocol. It's certainly different when you played and maybe even scarier because there wasn't the, the, the protocol in place. I'm, I'm not sure how that played out, but it, I would imagine it played some heads game, head games, right? Yeah, in college when I when I experienced my first really bad one, um, there wasn't a protocol like that in place. I mean, I played the last, next week, and I still remember kind of thinking back to that – that that next game, um, everything was kind of moving fast for me. Didn't, didn't necessarily play great. Wasn't seeing the field well, uh, and I could just tell I wasn't quite recovered. You know, fast forward to um, you know twice it happened in 2012 when I was with the Chiefs, and I, you know I, I just remember after experiencing the one towards the end of preseason, um, there was a couple of days in a row where I was dealing with some kind of minor headaches, and uh, at that point I, I don't know if it was due to you know dehydration. Obviously the the, the head hit itself, but. It was just odd that it kept kind of lingering and hanging around. I think the toughest thing is uh, when you are isolated away and you're you're trying to kind of figure out, you know, when you're going to feel better, why you feel this way. You do start thinking about the long term um, repercussions that you could face from this. So it, it becomes really, you know, really, you know, um, you know, real at that point, and especially for Darius Leonard talking about his family and his future with your kids. You know, at that point in time. Uh, wasn't married, didn't have any kids, but there, there's no doubt you start to think about, all right, what is life going to be like 10 years down the road? Uh, am I sitting here dealing with this? Am I going to be having, you know, constant migraines and headaches from all this? Uh, and so it, it can be a scary place, but on the flip side, guys handle it different ways. You know, for, for Darius Leonard, this is one that lasted for a long, long time. Uh, and I'd imagine throughout the course of his life, given how much football he's already played and given the position he plays, he's probably experienced a ton. So, uh, it's a scary thing. It's a reality that a lot of football players face right now. And, and I think, you know, that's why you have to be at peace with whatever decision they make, much like Andrew Luck and you know, obviously a former Colt before this year. You're wanting to go ahead and retire because of his body and all the injuries he's taken. It's the same thing for Darius Leonard. You know, this is a young, promising player that, you know, maybe at one point in time decides to hang it up because he's worried about his future. Randy, let me, let me ask you this because I feel like, I mean, the NFL's a brutal game. We know that we saw John Allison get knocked out. Monday night, we saw Mason Rudolph last week get knocked out before he hit the ground. Uh, Rudolph didn't play last week uh, in the, the subsequent game. But I feel like sometimes these players seem to come back maybe too quickly from these concussions. And I know there's a concussion protocol. I know you have to be cleared by an independent neurologist. But do you feel like, based on your experience and what we've heard from Darius Leonard, that maybe one game is too soon? I mean, you've had a head injury, and it feels like sometimes we see in other sports where players miss two, three weeks, sometimes months. Yeah, I'm not an expert on this, but only from my experience, I would say this. You're definitely more 
apt to have another concussion after you experience one. Um, you're more vulnerable at that point. Uh, I think that's maybe what led to, you know, my second one in Kansas City later on that season. Um, but again, it's tough to, to make that call. You know, I, I gotta be honest with you. You know, you go back through the days we used to take this old thing called the impact test. Um, that was designed by a neurologist there in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, to help create like a baseline study of, of how you react, right? Like how, what's your cognitive ability? And then from that baseline, you then do that same computer test after you are concussed to see how you're recovering. Um, you know, if, if you're able to perform at the same level that you were before the concussion. And I remember guys would actually dumb down their baseline and their initial test because, you know, they didn't take head injuries as serious. Um, and, and they wouldn't have a chance to come back into the game. And they knew if they passed that impact test, they would have a chance to get back on the field and playing sooner. So there would be guys who would purposefully miss some things or purposely move a little bit slower. So when they did get concussed, it was already kind of built in where there would be easier for them to pass it. Yeah, I mean, look, in the, in the time before – we were smart enough to take brain injuries seriously. You know, people would, I remember, I remember the impact test too, cause we wrote about it, like, you know, in the, in the nascent days of this. I mean, like, you'd be like, like, what is Rob Gronkowski's impact test? You know, like in, 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 a, in an appropriately joking way. But I mean, not a guy like you, Brady, a smart, uh, individual from Notre Dame who, you know, high level, high, high floor for your, for your impact test. Uh, we got to talk some more about officials. Didn't get that out all the way out on the, on the Sunday night, on the Monday night show. But we'll do that after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back. Reminder, you can watch this podcast on CBS Sports or YouTube.com slash CBS Sports. Hit the video button and look for the green stuff. My handsome face. These two mugs with me, Ryan Wilson, Brady Quinn. Uh, look. I'm not feeling ranty today, so I'm not, I'm not going to rant on these officials, but I got it all out on Monday night, I think. Uh, I did write about how we do need the, um, oh God, what do they call it? The, uh, Sky Camp. Sky Camp. Sky, Sky, Sky Judge. Sky, Sky, why, Sky why, why do we, why do we call it something that the college football game already has? Like, like, why, why do we need to call it a Sky Judge? Like, first off, college football has eight officials. NFL, just add one. It's not that hard. It'd help sure. out the guys in the field in the first place. The second is, why are we, taking everything back to New York without River on. Put a couple officials up in the booth. Let them be replay officials and let them hit down for player safety issues or potential other calls that they can literally sit there in-house and review. The college football game already has it. They do a good job of it. Everyone acts like it's going to slow down the game a ton. It won't. I promise you. Allow the coaches to challenge it. It'll be fine. I don't know why it's so hard for the NFL just to adopt something that already exists and has been well implemented. Now, the only pe- thing that people are going to say is, well, the college football game's so long. 
Well, yeah, idiot. That's because there's a, there's stopped clock after a game first down. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with the fact that there's stopped for targeting calls and what have you. It has more to do with the fact that the NFL doesn't have a stop clock after a game first down. So if you want to, if you want to speed up the college football game, just change it to the NFL rule and you'll see those games will almost be in sync with one another and they'll be about three hours plus instead of about three and a half. Well, look, and who cares if it's three and a half? Who cares if it's four? Like, what's the big deal? If you're committing to a three and a half hour football game, are you really that mad that you're there for an extra 15 minutes so these guys can get the calls right? And it's, it's, the, the crazy thing is that the NFL looked at this rule, looked at putting the sky judge or whatever the hell you want to call it in this season and instead decided to go with this asinine pass interference rule where we've seen 82% of challenges not overturned, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure that like, I don't know. 99% of them could have been overturned. Very few of these challenges by the coaches have been bad, in my opinion. I think they've been pretty good. I was surprised that, I mean, you know, maybe I wasn't Were you surprised, Brady, that Matt Patricia didn't challenge there? Cause I know Ryan was not surprised. Wait, wait, were you surprised or not? I can't remember from last night, Ryan. Yeah, no, he's going to challenge that. You just pointed out there. I think Breach told us that one for 24 is how successful, uh, the yeah. coaches have been on these PI challenges. And as you point out, there have been many more than, just one that should have been overturned. Matt Patricia did the right thing. He saved the timeout. Uh, and I'm on board with everything Matt Patricia now, so don't even try to get me into that trap. I, I will point out one thing, and I said this last night too on the podcast. The NFL doesn't care because if they cared, they can make the changes that Brady is talking about. It's not anything that requires a lot of effort on their part. The only time they seem to care about anything is when they're sending out memos to the teams about taking knees for, for players during the, during the, um, the, uh, the, the anthem being played or keeping them in the locker room. There have been no memos sent out about this, no sort of, um, uh, gnashing of teeth and gar- um, rending of garments about, oh my gosh, we're not getting this thing sorted out. If they wanted to, they could do it. They just don't seem very interested in doing so. Unintended consequences. That's what we heard when they put this rule in, right? And unfortunately, I think they realized that after they already went up that stream, they were too far up to make this change. So what do you do? You change the mechanics in which how you implement it. And what they've done now is made it so hard to either, you know, if you challenge it, throw a flag for a play that's being challenged if there wasn't a foul committed, at least on the field, or overturn something. The bar is so high to do either one of those two things that it doesn't make sense to even use a challenge for that. So I I really do feel like the league is trying to deter coaches from challenging these unless they're absolutely egregious, a la the Nicole Ruby Coleman uh, play on Tommy Lee Lewis last year in the NFC Championship game. Uh, But, look, a couple of things we need to take into account. This is a young officiating crew. You know, I, mm. some of these guys now, there's been some transition. Gene Steratore's not there anymore. John Perry's not there anymore. They're transitioning and cycling through to younger guys. Look when they put up their names and their experience in the NFL officiating. They're younger guys that don't have as much experience. So um, just keep in mind that. They will get better the more experience they get. The next thing I'd say is, you know, and, and actually Pete Prisco, to his credit, brought this up. And I think it's a, it's a very valid point. Uh, outside of the fact that I should mention, I think he was, what, 3 for 11 this week in his picks. I had to mention that on the show. He was absolutely awful. 3 and 11 against the spread. Horrendous. Horrendous. Okay. So I got that out there. Just before you go on, I, I'd like to point out that I'm on a text thread uh, with Pete. And he also went 2, 5, and 1 of his best bets on this podcast. Oh, and yeah. He, and, he was like, hey, Brenton, if you pick eight games, you're going to go one and seven. You've been, I put the juju on you. <laughs> and then he went two, five and one. Uh, Pete is now, a couple more things. He's now 42, 49 and one on the season against the spread, which is not very good. That's seven games under 500. Uh, he's also 47. He went four and 10 straight up last week. Four and 10 straight up. That's terrible. Look, uh, last week was a tough week. Okay. I think I went 
five for nine straight up and then seven for seven against the spread. It wasn't an easy week. Anyone who says it was, they're lying to you. What did you do last week, Brinson? Were you drunk when you made those picks? Well, probably <laughs> if I made the picks. Ten and four against the spread last week. Bam! Four and one with four one and one with my with my best bets. And I should point out that every time Pete does poorly in the picks, I go to the standings page and I take a little screenshot of it with his terrible record and his little tan face, like that little tan bulbous head. And uh, I text it to a thread with him and Jay-Z, Jamie Eisenberg and Nick Costas. And then I add on a little gift that says, you hate to see it. <laughs> First off, don't get Costas involved in this thing because he's been awful this year too. Okay, back to the point he made though, okay? What Pete Prisco said, it's true. Look, the technology we have, not only at home to watch these games, the DVR to roll it back and go back and look through the play – all that's changed and different. 20 years ago, we didn't have the same type of technology. I mean, hell, I, I remember early on playing in the NFL, we didn't have HD. Like, you had a hard time figuring out what number linebacker that was when you used to look on the pages on the, on the sideline. Now they've got tablets. I mean, everything's crystal clear. You can see it all. We didn't have that before. So even as a player on the sideline, it's changed. It's different. But for fans at home, the experience is very, very different with the ability to run things back on your DVR. Uh, you know, pause it, freeze it, the technology, the picture quality is better, and also the cameras on the sidelines. A lot of these slow-motion cameras that they've got now, and more and more networks are uh, continuing to build up their arsenal, you get better looks at it, and you get to watch it in slow motion, which is not how the game is officiated. So you have to take into account all those things. You can't be frustrated by it. We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. But they do need to implement some way of being able to figure this out. And I think in order to do that, they're going to have to lower the burden for which under replay, regardless of what you're replaying, whether it was called or not called, the, the burden which they have to prove has to be lower. It can't be 10 of 10 guys in a bar saying, yeah, we feel like that's past interference. It's got to be 6 of 10. And I think that's an area that the NFL doesn't want to go into. I think that reducing the workload for these guys would go a whole long way. Like, I mean, honestly, like in, in you talked about the college stuff and how well that works, Brady. I, f- I mean, am I wrong here? I feel like when you watch a college game that more or less they don't do a bad job of missing these these situations on replay. I might disagree with some of the targeting stuff. And, like, occasionally I'll see a you know, spot of the ball where I'm like, yeah, that's not great. But, I mean, I think they do a pretty good job because they're utilizing as much as possible centralized replay and not forcing it to be on the guys who are on the field and not putting the burden on those guys on the field. Like, the, like the you know, the uh, fa- the hand-to-the-face thing with, uh, with Trey Flowers, twice it's called. If you're just, you know, if you can reduce the I, – I guess that's not something you can do in, on, on replay. I don't know. It just feels like – there's so much going on for these guys on the field that they're not able to handle some of the basic stuff in addition to, I agree with you, them being young. It'd help if they had an eighth official. I mean, again, that's what you have at the college football level. And the game is more spread out, so you're, you're going to put more pressure on them to see a greater portion of the field when you're in condensed formations and all that. You know, now you got seven guys and all those eyes kind of looking in that one area. With the game being more spread out, it, it changes a lot of that. So I think that's a byproduct of it, too. Uh, you know, ultimately, Bill Belichick's been calling for it forever, and, and rightfully so. They should be able to challenge whatever they want. They just have to be specific to what exactly they're challenging. Uh, I think that would be a step in the right direction. Forget about just making a PI or offensive PI. Uh, but the, again, the problem with doing that is they're worried about slowing the game, and and they're worried about again that, that burden that you have to prove that a, a penalty or foul was committed. Uh, I think in this case, what we maybe should do is let's not worry about calls that weren't made. Okay. It has to be the ability to challenge a call on the field that was made. Mm. So let's start there 
And then we can segue or then we can transition into that area of there wasn't pass interference called. I think there should be. Um, I think that would be a good start with this. And then we could teach up the officials to say, look, when in doubt, throw the flag. Cause then the, then if it wasn't a penalty, then these coaches now can challenge and they can be able to pick up that flag if indeed they're right. And obviously they don't lose a timeout. So anything to add, Ryan, on, uh, referees or Matt Patricia, your love for Matt Patricia. Uh, just one thing quickly. So Brady mentioned that, uh, you know, referees make mistakes and all that. How frustrated would you have been if you were on uh, the Lions sidelines and that second Trey Flowers non-hands to the face was called and basically screwed you out of a win? I would imagine – I gave Trey Flowers and Matt Patricia a lot of credit for being composed because I would have been irate. And I would imagine, Brady, you probably would have felt the same way. Yeah, but here's the thing as a player. You're ultimately accountable for what you do on the field. And so it always comes back to – you know, there was many opportunities – that the Lions had in that game, that they could have ran away with it. I mean, how many times do we see them in the red zone and not convert into touchdowns and instead of kick field goals? So, you know, for that reason, I think if you really want to look yourself in the mirror, and I'm sure Matt Patricia is telling that to his team, that, you know, you can't rely on the officials. You can't hope that they're always going to make the right call or that they're, you know, they're, they're not going to mess up and make some bad calls at times. They had their opportunities, and they didn't convert. They didn't do a good enough job on offense in the red zone and then figuring out a way of not allowing Green Bay to kind of creep back into that game. Again, granted, they were aided by the officials, but still the Detroit Lions had plenty of opportunities, too, to close out that game. Yeah, it did feel like 13 nothing. It's like, man, you guys really needed to be up more than 13 nothing. It could have been 21 nothing. Let's let's be real. It, it could have, should have been 21 nothing. Yeah, and then they had the, the too many men on the field against the thing. I mean, it's but again, like Packers fans who are, who are trumpeting that excuse and being like, we didn't steal a game. It's like, dude, look, look, you've had stuff robbed from you too. Everybody should want the the, the refs to get this right. Uh, by the way, the uh, Troy Vincent NFL VP of Ops said uh, down he's down in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, and addressed the uh, the issue and said that the foul quote the quote foul wasn't there after reviewing the tape of the second illegal hands of the face penalty. No kidding, Troy. Good call. All right, let's talk about some quarterbacks from the 2015. Well, let's just talk about some quarterbacks in general. Before we talk about maybe some injuries that guys are coming back from, let's talk about two quarterbacks who, well, let's, let's say a requiem for the 2015 draft class. How about that? Because there's some good players that came out of it, but by and large, it's going to be remembered by two quarterbacks, Jameis Winston one, Marcus Mariota two. They played each other in week one, in fact, which was incredible luck in terms of scheduling. Titans, Bucks. What percent chance, Brady, do you give either one of those guys of being back on their respective team uh, in, in 2020? Jameis Winston more so than Marcus Mariota. I mean, if you look at Jameis Winston, he's not going to get benched. They're not going to go to Ryan Griffin to create a spark uh, or because they feel like that's their future on this roster. Bruce Arians largely took this job because I'm sure he sold uh, the ownership there in Tampa on the idea that he could turn around Jameis Winston and he could make him the quarterback that they'd hoped he to be. And I think at times, too, he's played that way. Unfortunately, this last week was a bad example of them, him trying to play that way. He looked like uh, the Jameis Winston that many people were concerned about coming out from Florida State, throwing too many um, ill-advised interceptions. On the other hand, Marcus Mariota, this running was on the wall when they signed Ryan Tannenhill. I think you knew Marcus Mariota was going to get the first shot because he's getting pay, paid considerably more, but at some point during the season, they were going to go to Ryan Tannenhill. I, I think there's no doubt they're going to go to him now moving forward. I know I don't think it's been announced or hasn't been official uh, because look, if Mike Vrabel wanted to back Marcus Mariota and he was just doing that to create a spark for the team and, and use that sort of coach speak, he would have then announced that Marcus Mariota after the game is still a starting quarterback. That's obviously not the case. So I think they're going to go with Ryan Tannehill moving forward and see if it can spark the team. And as most organizations work, look, when things go bad, 
you change the quarterback. And when things continue to go bad, then you change the head coach. And I think that's the territory that Mike Vrabel's in at this point. His hands are tied, uh, whether he likes Marcus Mariota or not. I'm sure they want to move on and try to see if Brian Tannehill can spark this team. And if not, you're looking at wholesale changes. So uh, I think there's a better chance that Marcus Mariota is not with the Tennessee Titans after this year than obviously Jameis Winston. Yeah, I find it hard to think that either of these guys can be back because they're both making twenty point nine million on their on their fifth year option, and Jameis isn't coming back for cheap. So you're gonna have to pay him something north of twenty five, I would imagine, as a starting point. And if Bruce Aarons is still there, and there's every reason to think he will be, is that the direction he wants to go in? And we know he likes guys who can throw the ball deep. But I think one of the things about Jameis is that it's atypical to see someone like Jameis still in the starting lineup because he has thrown so many interceptions throughout the course of his career. They never really found a replacement for him. So they just still put him back. They keep putting him back out there. And, you know, he's on pace to throw more than 20 interceptions or whatever. And that typically doesn't happen for a guy who's been doing it year after year. Uh, that said, he is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota, who is uh, an enigma. And I know he struggled to stay healthy before this year, but he was healthy this year. And some of the throws he made uh, in that loss on Sunday just defy explanation and physics and everything else. And, and I think Brady's exactly right. I think Mike Vrabel's a good coach, but you have to tie your horse to the quarterback that you have. And, and that horse is currently running over the cliff and, and Mike Vrabel's sitting in the back with really not being able to do much about it. So both these teams need a quarterback. Both these teams will probably have top 15 picks. And then it just becomes a matter of which quarterback's going to be available. Who do they love? And that'll sort itself out in the coming months. I don't want to go on a rant here, but I do think there's going to be an issue moving forward with a lot of quarterbacks right now, as far as when they come into the league, we've got such high expectations for them. More often than not, we're starting them playing in them as rookies, whether they're ready or not, and whether the team is ready or not around them. And so then we make these snap judgments, and I guess I'll use Baker Mayfield as an example because you know we saw him have a pretty solid rookie year. He set the touchdown record, didn't even start all 16 games uh, for a rookie, and now we see him this year struggling. Why? Well, look, he had a change in their coaching staff. Now, granted, same system. Freddie Kitchens is still there, but you add in these other pieces. Their offensive line, at least the dynamics of it, has changed a little bit. They're not playing quite as well. And so it takes time. And, and, and I don't know that anyone's really able to develop him and work with him the way they probably need to in order to improve some of the fundamental things that he struggles with right now, uh, whether it's locking in on guys downfield, holding on the football too long, not you know making more anticipatory throws, uh, or, or better decisions at times. But Either way you go about it, I think this moving forward is, is going to be part of the tough task for a lot of teams. You know, you, you see the Jared Goffs of the world get that extension in the new contract. He's not playing very well right now. You know, once you eliminate some of that run game, the protection's not as good. You know, you got to wonder if a year from now we're not having another conversation about Jared Goff and, and how the Rams feel about him moving forward. Like, yes, he's talented when he's got a clean pocket and he's got a great play caller and a ton of help out around him, but yeah, that, that it's pretty much every quarterback in the NFL. They've got the ability to do that. So uh, there's, there's going to be, in my opinion at least, down the road, a lot of questions about how many of these guys continue to get these big second deals or if they do get that second deal somewhat early in their rookie deal, you know, how much longer that's ultimately going to last because I, I think with the limited practice time in the offseason, you're going to see less and less guys really develop. And I think they're going to hit a plateau earlier or they're going to enter into the league about as good as technically and fundamentally they're going to get. Would you trade, Ryan, would you trade Jared Goff and his contract for Marcus Mariota and his contract right now on a Sean McVay offense? Yeah. Yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see what what uh, Sean McVay could do 
with Marcus Mariota. But again, the injuries, I don't know if it's a confidence issue. I, I mean, he was obviously a, a very good player at Oregon. Maybe the case is that we try to force these guys every year to be franchise quarterbacks. And maybe just 2015 wasn't a franchise quarterback class with Jameis and Marcus at the top. But I would like to see McVay there, um, see what he could do with Marcus because I think that would be a better fit for him. And I know you have some thoughts on Arthur Smith, the, uh, the OC in Tennessee, and I think you would agree with me, Wilbur, that McVay is probably a better play caller. I uh, I would agree with you, Brady. Would, what, what do you think about that trade? Or would you stick with Goff and his deal? Because you get Marcus Mariota on like a three-year, thirty million dollar deal. Yeah, probably. I mean, he'd, he'd be more economical. You can put it that way, and I think he'd be more versatile with what he can do. And and to the point Ryan just made. The play calling in Tennessee is at times atrocious. I mean, it's really hard to watch. And so you put him with a play caller like Sean McVay, his athleticism, running some boots, moving the pocket a little bit. I think it'd work out well. I want to, I want to, I want to comment on something that Ryan touched on. You know, the accuracy issues. Marcus Mariota was a really accurate quarterback coming out of Oregon. I think, you know, you, you could put him in a t-shirt and shorts, watch him throw, and you could see that. Uh, there's something wrong. I don't know if it's the injuries or if he's playing through something now that he's dealing with because that's been the knock on him. You know, he hasn't been able to make it through a season without missing some time. But there are some of those just layups that he's, you know, airmailing or, or throwing inaccurate footballs or guys on his first read where, you know, he's in a three plant in the shotgun and he's just burning one into the ground. Like that is not Marcus Mariota type throwing or passing that I'm accustomed to seeing. Like something is off, something is wrong. Uh, and again, I, I just, I wonder if he's trying to play through something to prove to people that he can be healthy for all 16 games in an NFL season. By the way, that reminds me of a great uh, tweet that Daniel Jeremiah had uh, from NFL media. He said that um, Marcus Marietta misses too many layups and Jameis Winston takes too many threes. It's a pretty perfect tweet, to be perfectly frank. Jameis, Jameis is just out there like off his back foot, like firing up. Like, it's like, you're hitting 20%, bro. Stop shooting threes. Uh, moving along to more quarterbacks, specifically Cam Newton. Expected to return to practice this next week, although he's not going to fly to San Francisco after the bye week to play against the 49ers is what I'm told. I, I believe I heard. Maybe I was told that. Either way, I don't think he's expected to play in San Francisco, but he might be back at practice. Josh Allen completing 66% of his passes, 900 yards on the season, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, four fumbles. At what point would you decide to play to play or not play Cam Newton, Brady? Forty and slip, Kyle Allen. Um, but what did I say? yeah, Josh Allen. It's tough. I, I mean, there's two Allen. Allen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be tough for me at this point if Kyle Allen, you know, wins again. It'd be tough to, to just bring Cam Newton back and let him play. Uh, I think I'd want to see him in practice, moving, running full speed, cutting all that stuff. Um, for maybe a couple of weeks, um, and, and, and then get, start to get a sense for, you know, where we're at as a team. But, I mean, you can't take the guy out the way this offense and the way this team's playing since he entered in it. They're undefeated since he took over as a starting role. And you can lob some of that up to their schedule, but he's played phenomenal. He hasn't turned the football over. He's, he's, I think, been better actually throwing the football in the passing game. And if that foot's not healed, you know, what's the point of putting Cam Newton, you know, back out there just because he, he feels a sense of urgency now that Kyle Allen's played so well? Um, or maybe he just feels like he would be able to do some things within the system now that the team's playing better. But, he, Either way you go about doing it, I, I think it's Kyle, Kyle Allen's job right now until it's not, either via an injury or if he starts to put together some really bad performances. Yeah, I tend to think that 
Ryan, the only way you can play Cam Newton is if he's a hundred percent healthy. Like I think a hundred percent healthy Cam Newton is better than Kyle Allen, but Kyle Allen is better than an unhealthy Cam. We saw that. Like his accuracy is just not there. He can't run. He's not as big a threat. He has a shoulder injury, a foot injury. I I, I don't know. I just I don't, I don't know that you can trot. You can't just trot Cam out just because Cam wants to be back, right? No, you're exactly right. It has to be a hundred percent, and you can't be duped. Like Mike Shanahan was back in the day when RG3 went out there as a rookie and ended up basically ruining his career. And I'll say this. Look, like a month ago, Brady said the Panthers are going to be okay with Kyle Allen. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Kyle Allen's just going to come out there and start gunslinging it. That's exactly what he's done. So there is no rush to go to Cam. But, Brentson, you're exactly right. He has to be 100%. Cam Newton is a better quarterback than Kyle Allen. But the caveat is he can't be out there limping around and throwing the ball 15 yards into the dirt. Yeah, Why is he's not? I mean, can, can, can we subscribe to the theory that – like maybe this is more of the norm for a Kyle Allen. Like, can we be okay with maybe we just missed this guy in the whole evaluation process? I mean, he didn't have the greatest track record coming into the league, so it's okay to miss, you know, misidentify the fact that the guy was a college free agent, and and some people weren't necessarily sure what he could do in a starting offense in the NFL. Like, is it okay to potentially you know admit that? Like, we we seen that with Gardner Minshew, even though he was drafted, he was a late round draft pick. It wasn't like that was Jacksonville's first option with him, and he's played decently well, even though their record now hasn't been great. So I I just think at some point you have to realize he does bring a better passing attack than what we've seen from Cam, at least lately. Like now, if you're going to go back to his MVP season, I'm full on board with you as far as, you know, how good of a passer he was. But even last year, when you look at the numbers, just because his completion percentage was high, he's not making the same type of throws downfield that I see more from Kyle Allen than I did from Cam Newton. So uh, I just, I think moving forward, like even with a healthy Cam, I mean, this might be a la Brock Osweiler, Peyton Manning. Like he's going to stay in there until – you know, they start to lose games or they get to a point where like, all right, now we feel like we've kind of hit the end of that. Let's put Cam in, see if he could spark some things and get better offensive play. And look, um, Kyle Allen was one of the top high school quarterbacks in, in, he was in the, the number country. one. He was number he was one the, as far as a, a you know, pocket passer in his year, but he went and he went to NM. He went he to went Texas NM. He ended up transferring after that. Then went to Houston. A, didn't play while he was at Houston. Is it Kevin Sumlin then who was coaching? Uh, I, I think so. Okay, so Kevin Sumlin and he look. Kevin Sumlin did not have a great run today. You know, he had, he had Manziel well, thing, but I mean, look, Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen both both transferred. Like, think about that. You've got a guy who's playing really well right now, and the guy who was the number one overall pick in this year's draft. There, there's something going on there. If both those guys yeah. left your program. Well, but no. But my point was that he transfers out of there. He goes to Houston. He thinks he's going to land in Houston with Tom Herman. Tom Herman leaves for Texas. And so he ends up at Houston with Major Applewhite, who's in his first year. He gets benched within a couple of games. And it, I, I mean, I, I don't know this, but I would presume that, you know, he was like, you know what? I think I'm done trying to play football for free. I'm just going to, okay, like, like, if I'm going to get bounced around and, and, and kicked to the back of a bit, like a death chart, I'm just going to go do it in the NFL where, where at least, you know, I'm not burning through my age cycle and like getting older here. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it worked out for him. And I think, I guess my point is that if there's a guy that we're going to miss on an evaluation from that perspective, he sort of has this rare story, a la Gardner Minshew, who wasn't going to play and then ended up, you know, uh, de- you know, the Washington State had unfortunate circumstances, needed a quarterback. Like there are two guys who have just different situations. So maybe they do fit that concept of missing their evaluation. Yeah. Speaking of Gordon, by the way. Nick Falls, yeah. does he play when he goes back? Ryan, what do you think? 
I was never on the Nick Foles bandwagon. He wasn't magic going to save the Jaguars from themselves when they, when they signed him this offseason. And I, I mean, everybody was shocked with how well Gardner Minshew played. Um, he is undersized, doesn't have a, the, the best arm, but he has done some amazing things and, and certainly exceeded everyone's expectations. I would leave him in there if he continues to play the level he's playing at, even, even through the hiccups, because, uh, the only problem is, of course, you're paying Nick Foles so much money, but, Look, do you want to win football games or not? It's not entirely clear the Jacksonville Jaguars want to do that. We'll see what they do with Jalen Ramsey and whether that indicates whether they're, you know, throwing in the towel or really are going to try to continue this thing. But, um, Nick Foles, I'm not even sure when he's coming back, but I'm not sold on Nick Foles. He's never played a, a full season uh, in the last few years. And when he has, he, he hasn't been very good. Um, I love what I've seen with Gardner Minshew. We're looking at the schedule here. Um, the wins haven't come, but it hasn't been because, because of Minshew. And there's a great chance he wins too. If you look who they're playing, you know, Cincinnati, the Jets. I mean, he's gonna have some opportunities now coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, maybe to pad those stats a little bit, but also to get some wins. I, I, I think at this point, look, you haven't invested a lot into Minshew. You obviously have in Nick Foles, and that's why the next two weeks will be very telling. You know, if he puts together some solid performances and they do get a couple of wins, I think it's gonna be Gardner Minshew's job uh, moving forward. Even though they're gonna have to face some some tough opponents, obviously Houston and London, you know, the Colts, Tennessee. We're not sure where they're gonna be at or Tampa uh, at that point, but still. Uh, I, I think it's probably his job to keep. However, if he stumbles versus a couple bad football teams that I, I assume they're going to be favored to beat, or at least it'll be close or somewhat even, uh, then I think you're potentially looking at Nick Foles coming in and maybe taking over. Okay. Uh, one more takeover situation, and then we'll get to Brady's five-star question. Uh, will Jason Garrett have his job taken over by Kellen Moore before the season ends? Um, Jerry Jones appeared on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on Tuesday from Fort Lauderdale, oddly enough, and said, I want to talk about our team, talk about coach. <laughs> I felt that we got a lot of vests in Jason Garrett. He's had a lot of years. He's been a part of the Cowboys and he evolved in what? I think as a top coach, he would be very sought after a coach if you're out here in this open market. So there's a lot of pluses there. He brings a lot to the table. And I can genuinely say there's not a thought that I'm having. So it would be unfair to our fans for me to have any indication, but what I may think the future is as far as a head coach. Here's the so truth. It makes no sense. Here- but I think he's saying I'm not firing him right now. No, he's not going to fire him right now because the division's going to be tight. I mean, between them and Philly, with the way those two teams are playing right now, this could potentially go to Week 17. Um, and so for that reason, I don't think he wants to give up on him potentially winning the division. And then he knows that once they get into the playoffs, look, whether they have a buy or not, I would imagine the way they're playing right now, if they end up being a 9-7 and team that wins the division or a 10-6 and team that has to play in the wild card round, you know, he's not going to fire him because he knows once they get into the tournament – all of a sudden, something special can happen. They can get hot, and they can end up finding their way into the Super Bowl. So there's no reason to make a change right now. Uh, you could you know, end up hiring Rod Marinelli, his previous head coaching experience, even though that didn't go great for the Detroit Lions. Um, there's some other worthy candidates. Chris Richard uh, was, was rumored or talked about of being a potential head coaching candidate in the future, their secondary coach. However... You know, their secondary hasn't been very good this year, so I'm not necessarily sure you go there. And it'll be way too much, way over the head of, of Kellen Moore. So um, at this point, you're better to stay put, see what happens throughout the course of the year, uh, wait till they get healthier, and then if they don't, you know, exceed his expectations and they don't get to the postseason or they don't do it in the postseason, then obviously you'd look to make a change. Brady, what do you think about the conspiracy theory that um, after the first few games where Kellen Moore was just balling out with Dak Prescott and the play calls, that we see uh, Jason Garrett's fingerprints all over the most recent game plans, and that's why this team has gone south and, like, south in a hurry. I, I mean, what are we basing that off of? What was said during a broadcast? I mean, if that's the case, like, I don't know. There was a lot said in the broadcast that didn't happen, too, as far as first guessing from that standpoint. Um, so I'm not going to go there. I, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I think there's a book out on Kellen Moore. 
and you know they, there's some more things that are a little bit more predictable than their offense. Well, let's also admit the fact that like Amari Cooper was banged up with his quad; he had really no impact uh, on last week's game. Michael Gallup had a couple of drops. Their offensive line's not playing as well without Tyron Smith. Um, and, and look, let's not talk about the offense because everyone wants to focus on that. Their defense is not very good. They're not. Outside of Robert Quinn rushing off the edge, they have no presence on the inside. Their, their DBs and their cornerbacks in particular play way too soft. Jordan Lewis had an interception, so everyone wants to act like uh, he played well last week. He didn't. He, he They played way too soft of coverage. Awuzie got burnt. There's all sorts of issues that, that this secondary has right now. They're not playing up to the standard they should be. They need to be more aggressive. They need to get up at the line of scrimmage, play some more press man-to-man, get in some guys' face uh, moving forward because Jordan Lewis has the background from Michigan, and Awuzie does as well playing from Colorado. So it's surprising that um, you see him at times playing a little bit more in softer coverage. But their defense right now is more of the issue, I think, than their offense, but no one wants to focus on that. No, it's a good point. And, and also, let's not forget about the schedule here either. Their first three games, you know, they played the Redskins, uh, the, the Giants and, and the Dolphins. Those teams, uh, rank, or not in that order, Giants, Redskins, Dolphins, however you want to do it. Uh, those teams rank 23rd, 24th, and of course, 32nd in DVOA, whereas the uh, defensive DVOA is, whereas the Saints, 14th, the Green Bay Packers rank 7th, and the New York Jets, uh, rank 16th in DVOA. So you're talking about three teams that they've lost to who are top half of the league defenses uh, versus three teams that they played and beat in the early portion of the season that are just terrible defenses. So a, a, a pretty wide swing there in terms of in terms of opponents. By the way, it's not like they – I mean, besides the Packers game uh, where they legitimately got blown out at home, that's probably the most alarming that's one. It's not like – yeah, I mean, as I say, they've been in another two games too. So I think people are hitting the panic button a little bit early here. And Tyron Smith's been out. I mean, this is, look, there's a lot, a lot has happened. It, it's, it's, it, it, I think the other thing too, I would say is that like, if you took those games and you interspersed the, and you interspersed them, so you made it where it's like they were beat a bad team week one, then lost to the Saints week two, people wouldn't be freaking out as much. It's the three straight loss factor that has people melting down about the Cowboys. But all of all these things cascading, the bad defense, Tyron Smith hurt harder. You know, I mean, look, it just happens. And then you know, it's, Jason, it's, it's, it's like the stock market, right? It goes up, everyone's really excited, and then it drops down, right? But if it just kind of incrementally goes up and down, up and down, and stays around the same, no one really complains about it. People just don't even pay attention. But unfortunately, that's not what's happening with the Cowboys right now. A little stock market heat from Brady. All right, let's get out of here on this. Uh, remember, you can leave a five star. That's a, that's good. That's good economics, Brady. Um, you can ask Brady about his favorite stock tip moving forward on, on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five star review. Ask any question. We will answer it. This is from, uh, someone named Walking Creeper. Perhaps get a better name. I don't know. That's sure. Whatever. Uh, I love the Seahawks a, a lot. Uh, I don't even know what this is. He basically, he loves the Seahawks. Oh yeah. He, I love the Seahawks and I love that they think the 49ers, that's on Debo actually. I love that they think the 49ers are bad. Could you compare the Seahawks to the 49ers, Brady? Uh, they're asking me to compare the two teams. I guess he's saying he's a Seahawks fan. How should he feel about Seahawks versus 49ers? Yeah, I think everyone should be concerned with that defensive pass, the defensive front. I mean, they, they've got every single guy on that D line can get after opposing quarterbacks. So, that should be a concern for you. I mean, the offensive line play for the Seattle Seahawks hasn't been that bad this year. Probably better than, than maybe some of the other years in the last five, if you're looking at, uh, and that's not a high standard considering how bad that group has been at times. Um, but 
No, I think that's a concern for you, how good that defense has been. The good thing is, is Robert Sala, their defensive coordinator, you know him. He runs the exact same system that Ken Norton runs there. So it should almost feel a little bit like practice, only the fact that you're going up against a better pass rush. Um, and, and on the flip side, I think this Jimmy Garoppolo-led uh, offense is uh, not dink and dunk by any means, but you know, they're going to try to run the football. They're going to base some things off the play action passes and boots, and uh, they're not going to threaten you so much downfield necessarily with his arm. It's more of the speed that they have on the outside. But but I think you know the Seattle Seahawks uh, defense is, is a worthy adversary for that reason. So look, there's a lot of familiarity. Uh, I think it's going to be a great matchup when it happens. You know, ultimately, I think it'd be interesting to see Jimmy Garoppolo in a situation where the game's on the line. It's the final minute thirty. He's got to drive the team down uh, to be able to get a win. You know, he's thirteen and two as a starter. Um, but when you you know look at this specific matchup, I think that'd be an incredibly difficult thing for him to do versus that Seattle Seahawks defense. But it'd be interesting to see if he could get it done. All right, buddy. This is my question to you. Um, I'll keep it. Related to this, although I had another question I wanted to ask you. I'll save that for later. So you talked about playing for Pete Carroll, wanting to, run through, wanting to run through a wall during training camp. Would you rather play for Pete Carroll, who's super exuberant for a 68-year-old, or would you want to play for Kyle Shanahan, who might be the best coach in the NFL right now? Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I would love just from sitting in uh, meetings, you know, talking about offensive philosophy and everything else. He is so good. He is so good at, at diagramming plays and making everything look like everything else. You know, he will get in a personnel group and he will get in a formation where he knows exactly what front, what coverage and everything you're going to play in it. And he's going to have a run, a boot, a play action pass based off that. Uh, maybe even some just straight drop back based off that. Uh, he's just really, really good at making everything mirror one another. And it forces a defense to play slow because, you know, one of the things you always hear is defensive players say pattern match, pattern match. What's hard to do that if you come out in a formation, you do a bunch of different things from it. You know, they're going to have a hard time reacting to it and more so than reacting, anticipating it. You know, when, when defenses get the edge on offenses, it's because they can anticipate what's coming. You know, they're going to jump a route. They're going to be able to jump into a gap, fire, fire their gun, as they say, and run through and make a play in the backfield. You know, when offenses are able to hide a lot of what they do because, you know, they hide it with their shifts and their motions and their personnel groupings and then doing multiple things out of the same looks, it forces defenses uh, to have to play slower and react. So the offenses are always going to have that edge. Kyle Shanahan does as good a job as anyone of creating a lot of those plays that make it hard for defenses to be able to anticipate and then and jump the gun on the offense. Mm. Kyle Shannon seems like a fun dude to hang with too. Just yeah, yeah. I've, I've had some drinks with him. I think at the combine. Yeah, we've a couple years ago. So you and me, I was there too, right? Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> me really, <laughs> that, 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 that cuts deep, Brady. That cuts deep. <laughs> no, that's true. You were, no, I mean, you guys were there. This is two years ago, Ryan. I don't even think you were on board with CBS yet. No, Ryan wasn't I, there. It was you, you and me at the at the bar at most, and it was like uh, Kyle and. Um, some of his, uh, his well, boys. Now, now another head coach. But that's right. Um, alright, gotta get out of here. I'm gonna get in, get in trouble. Get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's in the end of the show. Nobody's listened to an hour long podcast. It's fine. Uh, or YouTube. Reminder, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. Do them both. I'm Brady Quinn, Ryan Wilson, I'm Will Brinson. Thanks for listening to Fix This Podcast. See you guys next week. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. 
How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.